Hey you guys, Kokomoko here. I'm so excited for you to finally hear part two of this podcast. I think it's going to be the last episode of the year. I'm going to come back full force in January. This has been such a blessing. This podcast has grown so much this year. I'm just so grateful for everything and I really am excited to you know, start fresh in the new year. I was thinking about what I want to do this year differently from last year. Like, I think I really was known as this marketing girl and like, I really was one of the few that I think pioneered the way that we talk about it on TikTok. And I'm so grateful for that. And there's so many amazing creators like myself now that do that, that you guys are in good hands and I still want to do marketing like but I don't want to make videos just to make them I want to make them if I have something to say and instead I really want to be known as a personality next year I am when I'm not just giving advice and I've already started testing the waters a little bit and it's so nice to see you guys responding to that so thank you so so much and I'm just so happy for this year. I hit a million followers. I got to interview really amazing people like Holly Madison. I'm literally flying to New York tonight for a brand opportunity. I'm just so grateful. Thank you guys. And I hope you enjoy this last episode of the year. You said something interesting about what makes someone famous as a beauty creator or what that it factor is. So in my head, there's like three special sauces and three major buckets to become a viral beauty creator. Mm -hmm. Like these are the things that in unison are going to completely put you in the front of the map. You can skip the line. It really is able to catapult you. And every single creator that we talked about has done some iteration of this mix. First of all is the human factor. Are you authentic? Mm -hmm. Your personality. We're buying into you as a friend. The next factor is being glamorous. You need to be aspirational is really what it is. So first we're buying into that human aspect. You're inspirational. You're my friend. I like listening to you. Next is the aspirational part of being a glam girl and it girl. I want to buy that liner you're using. I want to buy the powder. Your under eye is so smooth. Like you're giving the girls what they want, the fantasy of it. And it's buying me into your look, your feel, your brand. And the third is discourse, whether it's Mm -hmm. positive or negative, having discourse and major conversation around your brand, what you're doing. It really is. You can call it discourse. You can call it creating cultural pulse points. You can call it Mm -hmm. timeliness, jumping on trends and creating your own trends. Look at tube girl. But it's like really about creating your own movement and your own wave. Those three together, when people are buying into your personality, Mm -hmm. your glam and being an aspirational figure, which you're selling product for, and creating trends and conversations and maybe even controversy, that is going to catapult you into success as a beauty creator because those three things can cycle into new iterations, into new trends. You can constantly reinvent yourself with those three things, but always the humanity aspect is the most important. If people are buying into you as a human being, as a friend, as a trustworthy person, then you will have your audience. Whether you're at 100,000 or you're at 100 million, you will always have a community that is loyal and loving to you. And I do think that is a big shift from YouTube to TikTok as well, because you can make major waves and harness an amazing community with 100,000, 150,000, 50,000. Like you can really have a community that buys what you tell them, engages Mm -hmm. what you say, wishes your family well if you're going through something, if they buy into you as a human being. And I think that success arc of how we see 
followers genuinely supporting talent where it's like, we've seen you when you're recording in your basement and we're seeing you now that you're recording in your penthouse. That's how people are happy for your success. When it comes off as bragging and you're holding eight Louis bags and getting into a G-Wagon and nobody saw how you got there, which was very Mm -hmm. OG YouTube style. (laughs) I do think that creates a dissonance between how they saw you come up. And I do think that come up story and being the underdog and having people root for you for who you genuinely are is so pivotal in being not only a beauty influencer, but a personality. Because we've talked about this platform changing personality forward. You can be the most gorgeous person in the world, mm-hmm. and it might not stick because it's not giving the girls what they want. They want to kiki with you. They want to like share moments with you. They want vulnerability. And it is so much easier said than done. Like I work on the back end. I'm also in front of the camera. It's hard to be vulnerable and it's hard to really put yourself out there because when it's open to the masses, like maybe that criticism will hurt a lot more. But honestly, showing yourself as human is the really big way to build a grassroots audience. And I think like Monet, is such an amazing example of hitting all three of these buckets. When you see her personality, she's talking to the camera, you literally feel like you're getting ready with your girlfriend. And it's so funny, I was at a Sephora collection party with Monet like a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. And to me, she was already it girl, gold standard. I was looking at her HD content. I was like, hey girl, I absolutely love what she was doing, but she hadn't hit that cultural Mm -hmm. pulse point yet. And I think now she's getting her flowers because she has that glam factor. She's like, her face is painted. She's giving the girls glamour. Like Mm -hmm. I want to have, I want to use what she's using, but she's authentically herself. You see her by her house. You see her catapulting into success. She's like walking the runway for L'Oreal in Paris. And like, there is such a clear trajectory of you earn this girl. I'm rooting for you. You are my friend. And then you have that timeliness that cultural pulse point that discourse where like she's dating Jalen she's kind of has a hot celebrity couple aspect she's being talked about for like all of these different things she was even in like uh, People Magazine or Us Weekly I don't remember what she was in but she's becoming a like cultural pulse point and it's very timely and she has a celebrity type of relationship where everybody's looking at her that blend of those three like she's doing amazing and I think she just got WWD um, Influencer of the Year like Like, I think it's so well-deserved because she's met all of those buckets. And in those three buckets, it's surrounded by the circle of consistency. If you are inconsistent with, like, we're our own guerrilla marketers. Like, if you're giving the girls glam, HD, get ready with me every single day, not giving, like, a single rest, like, people are going to see it. You know, that is such an effective way to have it out there because we're talking about having 20 videos that don't stick. But when you have one viral video and people revisit it, suddenly they're fed a whole portfolio of your work. And that's why I think like there's power in numbers to what you're putting out. Because when you have somebody buy in from one video, suddenly they're fed all of this amazing content that you put out, whether it has 100 views or 100,000 views. You're putting your portfolio forward and you're giving people more like food for thought, more to munch on. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm doing a deep dive in my favorite creator, I want a plethora of content. And I think that's where like you're, you're putting your portfolio forward and keep it up, you know? Yes. I, if you like, if you were to go and have a viral video, the first time you try something new, that might be great. But your, the audience, the new audience might not convert into following because they see the new video. They're like, 
oh, love this, get ready with me. And you don't have any other get ready with me's on your profile. Maybe because you privated them all. They're not going to follow you because they're like, oh, it was a one time thing. Yeah. Okay. Not going to check back tomorrow. They 100%. only did it once. And when, cause we talked at the YouTube thing and then preparing for this interview, I deep dived into Monet's profile because you had mentioned her mm -hmm. and you're so right. I think something that like is really interesting about her videos specifically and a prediction I have for the next year, 2024, and the influencers that are really going to blow up and stand out are the ones doing really high def content. And I know that sounds really scary. And I was on preparing for a panel with um, a woman, Lizzie, who was the one who said it, and it really got my wheels spinning. But that like right now, so many people and don't let this scare you if you make content, like still do your phone content. But so many people do just straight to phone, like Alex Earl style. I use her as like a good example here because she's someone who really skyrocketed in the last year. But like Monet has something interesting because she has a very high def camera, clearly. And it stands out. It captures your attention. And it's and like another thing that you were saying is you had met her like a year ago. But she really had, and every creator has this, and it's why consistency is so important, mm -hmm. is The Tipping Point, which is a book. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book, and I'm actually reading it right now. It's called The Tipping Point, and it's about how everyone who's successful, they were doing it for a long time, but they have this one moment that just like, like the, the graph just goes up. Yeah. And the people that don't succeed are the ones who give up right before The Tipping Point. And like for Monet Michael, I, or McMichael, sorry. I think also part of her tipping point was the cultural discourse around her relationship. Yes, because Jalen was on Love Island, but also randomly the, the discourse around that Tarte Dubai trip was like the first time I really got thrown into understanding who Meredith Duxbury was and like who Monet was. And because there was like a handful of them on that trip. And that's when I learned of Monet and I was wanting to research all these creators. And even though it was a, I would say, I mean, I have a whole podcast on Tarte specifically, but the, besides that trip just being controversial for different reasons, it was like the perfect amount for the creators of safe controversy mm. that Tarte was getting some backlash for different reasons in other brand trips but the creators benefited from the 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 attention that that trip got without any of the fallout. And it goes back to supporting your favorite girly. They're like, yeah. okay, get it in Dubai. I'm yes, so happy for you. I'm yes. so excited. Like, you go, girl. You made it to Dubai with heart. Like, yeah. get your bag and do your thing. And I think, like, the discourse that you mentioned, I don't know if you saw all of the conversations about the trajectory of Alex Earl versus Monet McMichael. And it kind of connects to our previous conversation of creators of color realistically being catapulted into the zeitgeist, like being mainstream creators. What is that barrier to entry? How do you become an it girl? Is it equal to one another? I was following both of them when Alex was at Miami and Monet was a nursing student. Like that's when I started following Monet and the trajectory was not the same at all. And I think a lot of people caught on to that because we are dealing with a smarter, very like socially and politically in tuned audience. And I think that trajectory of Monet getting her flowers and Alex obviously getting her flowers extremely rapidly, yeah. it is something to be noted and not something to hate about. It mm -hmm. just explains the general dynamic of how certain creators are uplifted at different paces based on certain 
aspects of our culture. You know, yeah. it's really realistic. And I think Monet and Alex are friends now. They're going to all the same things. They're on the same wave. And I'm so happy to see that because everybody can win with what we're doing. Yeah. And I think the hard work really does pay off. I like without a doubt, no, Alex works really hard. But like. I know, Monet, the HD footage, like, I so second your prediction. I recently got my camera. I have I a saw Sony. On the chair. Yeah, yeah, I saw a ZV1. ZV1 shout is, out ZV1. I have one too. Shout out to the ZV1. And if y'all want to take pictures, I've been seeing all the girls with the Canon G7X. There we go. That is the photo camera. I actually brought okay. it. So we'll snap oh a pic. God, y'all yes. will see it later. Check and, out our Instas. Yeah. <laughs> and seriously, it is. I mean, particularly in beauty is what this conversation yeah. is about. When you're showcasing products, when you're, I think we have beauty filter fatigue a little bit yeah. where it's like, I love the fantasy of like the smooth TikTok filter and how it's blurry and stuff. And you guys don't get it wrong. There's not a huge buy-in to have HD content because you can flip your back camera on your iPhone, put it in 4K and it is so much higher quality than your front mm -hmm. camera. You may be a little scared because the front camera is so much more forgiving, but back camera in 4K is such a good start to yeah. get into HD videos. And honestly, a lot of Monet's videos are back camera and then a lot of them are like on a professional camera. But mm. when it comes to being able to showcase products, show yourself like in real world, it looks like you're staring at them. And yeah. I think it increases the humanity aspect because I'm like, this feels so vulnerable. Like you are in 4K high def and I'm watching this and you're kind of like accepting, like obviously a lot of these creators don't have a ton of flaws, but like you're putting them forward. You're showing your pores, you're showing your humanity. And like, I love a little TikTok moment where if you just prop the phone up and you hit it, I was a TikTok first creator. Like yes. I always just made it an app and like maybe beauty mode was on. Alex is using the blue eyes filter, whatever it is. It's like, I, I think there's a level of forgiveness that we need to have for that because yes. it's literally quick, easy, and you're able to post like 10 things a day. Yeah. Like I'm not hating on that at all. I just think the landscape is shifting and people are craving like high def imaging. Like yeah. we are such rapid consumers of media now. I feel like our eye is just getting sharper. Mm -hmm. And one of my biggest triggers is blurry content. Like I cannot handle it, particularly for myself as a creator. Yeah. And like, nonetheless, if this is an ad and you're paying and you're getting paid for it, that's what really got me to get my camera first. It's like, if I am replacing the talent of a camera person, of a producer, if I'm figuring out this lighting, if I'm putting together sort of a campaign within my own right for a brand, I really do feel confident charging them what my rate is. When it's on a camera, I edited this, I'm getting it all together. And this is like, honestly, similar production to what you guys would be doing. So run me my rate, yes. you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I do think that evolution that you're predicting is so on point because not only is it empowering creators to have quality content, but it's mm -hmm. empowering creators into being consultants. TikTok is this new wave of creators to consultants where it's literally like, not only are we social media personalities, social creators, but we are social media and marketing experts. And this is mm -hmm. such a new wave of taking control of your skill. Like everybody considers being an influencer a soft skill, like, oh, people just like you, but this is really a hard skill with technical savviness that is required. And let's say everything in social got erased and we had to start from square one. If you know how to script, if you know how to write a brief, if you know how to trend forecast, if you know how to operate a camera and get some lighting, shake your hair and get in front of the camera, 
I think you're good to go. You could do QVC. You could do yes. the, you could be a news anchor. You could be a producer. Like the opportunity is endless. And I'm very tired of the narrative that influencers have no talent because there is such a revolution of hard skills and technical mm. talent being developed as content creators. And I feel like beauty is such a good example of that because there's so many technical nuances of what the community requires now. And I do think that the future is in high def and that the future is not only somebody like me, like doing beauty videos, get ready with me, little trend videos, all of that good stuff, but also consulting brands, being at shoots, being on set and really being the voice of the social media consumer. Because when you work at an agency, when you're working in corporate, like I know you probably feel the same way. You're usually the youngest person in the room and you're usually not being heard equally. And now whenever I'm doing projects and I'm the point of like strategy for TikTok, for content creation, I was doing like projects with a big tech company last year. They look to you to be like, okay, so what should we do if this is going to be on TikTok? We know how to do this very routine, traditional, maybe even YouTube ad, TikTok ad, whatever it is. But how do we make this feel like it's in feed? Like how it feels like it was given to you on a For You page. And I think that's how you're seeing the evolution of brand personalities on their pages. Like when you look at, let's say, a Duolingo, when you look Mm -hmm. at even like a Microsoft now, they have very clear brand voices that define their personality as a brand. It humanizes them as a brand. And that is honestly a factor being created by creators consulting that process. Because if you're creating like a content creator on behalf of a brand, it gives a brand life. It gives a brand personality. And not only are these brands relying on influencers, but they're relying on their own brand persona now, which Mm -hmm. is like so game changing because it's almost giving something that didn't necessarily have a zest, a personality, it's giving it life, you know? So I think that process requires us as creators to chime in and share our expertise. And that's why I will forever to TikTok's horn because I was able to take my normal account executive, like strategy junior position at an agency and turn it into being like a senior strategist, a consultant, being able to really step into a boardroom with my TikTok open and make TikToks with people, you know, like that is such a blended approach that I think is the future of marketing and the future of what our careers will go to, honestly. Yes, I feel like you should do like if you're not already. I mean, I was deep diving on your account, but you should do these like talk like while doing your makeup you should talk about these things I know right it's so great (laughs) it's so valuable it's why I wanted to have you on and like you make so many great points one the idea of like what makes influencers lucrative I think part of what has made me lucrative in my career and why even before I was a creator, I was able to get my foot in the door at huge companies like BuzzFeed that I had been applying at multiple times and didn't hear back was at the time it was 2019 before TikTok was super trendy. And at my old job, like everyone was doing Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, YouTube. And I got hired to do TikTok. And I was like, this is going to kill my career. Like Mm -hmm. no one's going to take me seriously. But I was like, you know what? Everyone else is afraid to do it. I'll do it. I don't even have to be good at it. No one else knows what they're doing. This is a great time for me to just grab it and figure it out. And I think even as a creator, and that's what brands really like, I've realized, you know, even if you're afraid to try filming with your back camera in high def and 
you know, little hack, just put a, a mirror behind your phone and you can kind of see what you look like in the camera. Totally. But the be willing to try the new scary thing, whether it's live stream filming in high def before everyone else, because one, you don't have to be that good at it because no one else is good at it yet. Totally. And two, you're the person that then, even if you're not like the most famous person in the room, brands will pay you the most money to say, how did you do this? What did you learn? Like, what did you learn about, you know, live streaming? What did you learn about this new scary app, TikTok that we've never heard of? Like they will pay the people. There's a quote that I love. That's like fortune favors the bold. And mm. like the person who's willing to like do the scary thing first. And I think that's also where influencers come in. I think to be an influencer, it takes a certain type of personality, like an early adopter, yeah. someone who's willing to put themselves out there and maybe be embarrassed if it doesn't do well, but you're just trying like totally. the brand are terrified of all of those things. They're not early adopters. They don't want to be embarrassed. And so they pay the people who are willing to do those things, make those mistakes, and then come back with all the knowledge. Like, okay, here's how you do TikTok. This is how you do this and that. And I mean, beauty industry specifically is so competitive. Like I feel really lucky that I got into like the marketing side of TikTok, I guess, last year before it really, really blew up in the way that I do it. And I feel like in like beauty is Prob that and gaming are probably the two most competitive like industries I think online because um, they're the most lucrative I think the too. Yes. Yeah. Now I want to finish up by just talking about now celebrity brands and the reason I want to talk about celebrity brands is because I think that they're a really great reflection of how lucrative beauty became and so many celebrities want a piece of the pie like they make millions they're the top one percent why are they taking a risk of going into beauty? Because they know that it's going to pay off if they do it right. Yeah. But there's celebrity fatigue. Some brands that come to mind, I, I would say like Kylie Jenner was not the first celebrity to really go into branding, but I think she was one of the first to show them how to do it with social media mm -hmm. first um, and not have to be like a cover girl. Yeah. Like a lot of celebrities would get paid a six month deal and they'd go to one photo shoot and they would be a cover girl. Mm -hmm. But like Kylie, I think did something different with Kylie cosmetics, which launched um, in 2015. And then a lot of these brands that did well that were celebrity brands have that hero product, like you were saying. Yeah. So for Kylie, it was the lip kits. Um, Fenty by Rihanna, which they send me stuff every month. Thank you if you're the person that put Fenty. me on that PR list. Yeah. It's really great. But they um, were one of the first that had an inclusive shade range, which mm -hmm. I think was so important. Like, again, that could have been another like million factors why it's harder for creators of color, even in the beauty space was for, you know, 20 years, they couldn't do product reviews if the product wasn't like their shade, like they couldn't. And of course, then some people started going viral and really shining a light by trying the, like there's one creator on TikTok I saw, she did a video where she went into Sephora and bought the darkest shade of every single foundation mm -hmm. and tried it on her skin. I and none of them were dark. swatches. Yes, I think that's it. Yeah. And I was like, that is so brilliant, but it's sad that like, imagine how many opportunities she missed out on that the other beauty girls became millionaires from because she couldn't buy the product and use it. You know, like it's Especially just really Especially with drugstore, with the more accessible yes. pricing. Like that yes. is where it is even less inclusive. If you're willing to drop like 50, 60 bucks on a foundation, there's a little bit more leeway, but the buy-in mm -hmm. to being yeah. a beauty creator is high. And I think that's why we were talking about like 
barrier to entry for certain groups is definitely different. But like back to celebrity makeup brands and celebrity beauty in general, I think there is this juxtaposition between fantasy versus functionality. Mm -hmm. Fantasy is something that sells. If we buy into you, Kylie, she is giving the girls fantasy every single day. Everybody wants to be it girl, Kylie Jenner. She is giving you the looks. She's giving you the glamour. She's giving you the money, Mm -hmm. all of it. It is really serving up a fantasy that has clearly sustained her brand portfolio, at least some of the things in her brand portfolio. Where especially like Kylie Cosmetics, I would say, has been above ground and doing their thing Mm -hmm. up and down because it really is able to maintain that level of fantasy and celebrity based on her consistency. But how many stars do you know that are as big as Kylie Jenner? And I think when you create a product and a brand that creates a movement and has really big functionality, that's Mm -hmm. where the fantasy versus functionality comes in. I think that's where you find that special sauce of celebrity brands. Fenty is the perfect example. I'd say they've even distanced themselves. Fenty is a beauty brand in my mind. And then I think of Rihanna secondary now because Mm -hmm. they were one of the biggest revolutionary brands in shade inclusivity. Like they had Mm -hmm. so many shades of contours, of foundation, of concealer. Undertones is a huge factor because you could have a hundred shades and the undertones can still be off and not necessarily inclusive. So I think Fenty created this functionality aspect and some sort of value proposition, some sort of proprietary offering that really shifts your mind in, okay, this is a brand with so much to offer for their product and they're using the celebrity as their marketing mechanism and as the face. Mm -hmm. And these brands don't traditionally use influencers because they don't need to. They have Rihanna, they have Selena Gomez, whatever it is. And I think that's where the functionality of the product really lets the cream rise to the top Mm -hmm. with these celebrity brands. Because Audiences have extreme celebrity brand fatigue. Like, we do not want to see another celebrity skincare brand, another celebrity beauty brand. Like, everybody's rolling their eyes at this point. So, I really do think the buy in is A, not having your name in the brand. Yes. Like, if you look yes. at Patrick Star, one size, even look at Skims. Like, yeah. Skims has taken a little bit of a step away for, like, oh, I like the material. This is good shape where, like, it's not necessarily, oh, Kim, Kim, Kim. Like, Keep the name out of the brand. And my mom's an entrepreneur. She always says it's not about creating a product. It's about creating a movement. Mm -hmm. You want to create a movement with your brand and you don't want to tie it to one person. Honestly, the smartest way to navigate these celebrity brands is create something that has redefined a lane, redefined a category, really been able to offer some sort of value proposition to your audience, to your Mm -hmm. consumer, and use the shit out of that celebrity to market. That's all you want to use them as is marketing, marketing, marketing. But at the same time, we were talking about brand safety. We're talking about the God forbid possibility of cancellation. When you have somebody tied too closely to a brand, no matter even if they're a saint, I don't think that's ideal positioning. Like you want to keep a brand a standalone entity because it gives it legs of its own and it keeps it a lot safer. You want to keep that baby safe, you know? Yes. You, cause even the most beloved celebrity in the world might like, you know, I think people have the wrong notion that celebrity is someone's in the public eye constantly. Like look at Ariana Grande or even Taylor Swift. They'll be in the public eye for two to three years and then they like pull back. Like they, I mean, their names are still talked about, but so like if your brand is tied to a name, those moments where you're maybe 
pulling back a little bit, like so your brand is going to pull back as well in exposure. And there was what you said about like selling a movement. It reminded me of there was this interview with um, the late Virgil Abloh. And he said that when he is and I'm going to paraphrase. So apologies if I botch it. But he said that when he's selling a product and creating a campaign around a product, his room or his job is not to make the product look necessarily cool in the photo. It's to create a room that you want to be in. And then the product happens to be there. So people are looking at the billboard or a TikTok, whatever it is, they want to be in the room with you. Mm -hmm. And then they happen to have proximity to the product. And like the closest way that they can get into that room now is by buying the product. And so you're creating that room, not necessarily the product, but it's still like obviously important to have good products. I was on another panel a while ago and this one guy said something that I reference all the time. And I think it goes to your note about like quality with products. And he said, as a marketer and what he advises brands is don't make people want to buy products, make a product that people want to buy. And then like the movement comes from that, like, but really putting it on quality. And I don't mean to harp on them. I think what they built was great, but like Morphe was a great example to me of maybe a brand that like when they made the D'Amelio's the face of Morphe for a year, I was like, huh? Like it just didn't make sense to me. Like they weren't selling any product. There was no launch. And I, I, another one that I want to say that I think did it like could do it differently. I wish Addison Ray would relaunch item beauty, but as a hair brand, Mm. she would be so good as a hair brand because to me, she was never a makeup girl. Like I think part of Addison's appeal was this kind of natural, like she just didn't, I, she never really did makeup videos as often. Like I didn't think of her like I would have married the Duxbury, for example, but I knew like Addison's silhouette and part of what stands out is her hair. And I'm like, why was an item beauty? And there aren't as many celebrity hairlines yet. I think that's going to be the next wave of celebrity brands. Cause you have pattern by Tracy Ellis Ross, you have JVN hair. And I think Beyonce's launching her Beyonce's launching mm-hmm. one. Like I think a bunch of celebrities are going to try and get in on the hair yeah. aspect now because skin and beauty is kind of overdone. Um, but I also, before we like kind of, I guess, tie everything in together, I do want to note that I think part of what made specifically Meredith Duxbury really stand out to me is, and if anyone doesn't know, she does these videos And she went viral where she would like lather foundation on herself. Mm -hmm. And it was so fascinating because it really leans into this notion. I like to always say, and I learned it at my last job, bad ideas only. And it's like where you go into a brainstorm and they would say bad ideas only give me your worst idea. And that's probably going to be the best viral idea. And what I mean by that for Meredith is it's not, I'm not saying it in a mean way, but her lathering all that foundation on whether she was wiping off in between takes, we'll never know. But it was really, really opposite and counterintuitive to what was trendy at the time, like clean girl makeup, only just putting on SPF. And she came out the gates like a whole thing of foundation all over her face. And it really stood out. And she got that controversy, that creating those cultural pulse moments. The third bucket, real hard. So many people (laughs) talked about her. Yes. Like it was this thing that really made her stand out. And then over time, she would show her technique, but she captivated audiences and I think she's a great example of not always paying attention to what's trendy and what everyone else is doing. Instead, maybe flip it on its head and say, 
you know what? The clean girl trend is big right now. That's not really me. I'm going to lather my face in foundation. And even when I get hate comments, that's what's going to get me in the Turk trip in Dubai because people are talking about it. So she's like a good example, I think, of someone who like went opposite of what was trendy and then kind of blew up. And you have to know the value proposition you're bringing as a mm. as talent, because when it comes to Meredith, I was talking to a director of influencer that has worked with both Meredith and um, Michaela. Okay. And they bring very they're very good examples of different sides of the spectrum between awareness plays and product yeah. selling, pushing product. One thing about Michaela is she can sell a product out. Yeah. She can show you a before and after. She can be like oh my God, and suddenly get you excited about a product. When it comes to Meredith, I'm engaging with the content, I'm looking at it, and suddenly I know about the product. I may not buy it, but it is spreading massive awareness. So like, I do think that those two value propositions, whether it's awareness or selling product, are two things that you can totally play off of and combine the two. But Meredith is a really good example of an awareness play because suddenly mm-hmm. everybody's like, what is she smearing on her face? Yes. And it creates conversation, which ultimately can tie back to your product, you know? Yes. And now that we just have a few minutes left, are there any anything else you want to like touch on or leave the audience with that you feel like I didn't ask you about or you think is important to know about you know, what goes on behind the scenes with beauty brands and the decisions they make? Yeah, that's such a good question. And we covered so much. It's like when it comes to back to the title, Mm -hmm. what beauty brands don't want you to know. Let's talk a little bit about your talent. You want to break through, work with brands. Maybe you already have an audience. You have what's going on. Let's talk about maybe some of the tech factors that have developed Mm -hmm. in a lot of the back end of what people are doing. Like, Brands are getting so intelligent in the way they're able to track conversations about what's happening. When it comes to the beauty industry, social listening tools are a marketing and influencer director's best friends because they have tools now that they can fully be able to track who is talking about their brand, where the name was hit, whether it was in a comment, in a tag, in a caption. You're able to find lists of organic mentions of that brand. And that was one of the ways I was able to start securing deals because I was organic posting and tagging all of these brands in my normal videos doing whatever and suddenly you're popping up on their social listening tools and that's what I'm always telling people is like keywords and um, search engine optimization is not exclusive to just tech or just um, being a youtuber it is so inclusive of the beauty industry and of what we're doing keywords and hitting things that can get the attention of a search engine. It's kind of like when we were all applying to jobs after college, when we learned that they were doing keyword searches on our resume, they're doing that for all of our posts. So when you consider how you're crafting a caption, how you want to get the attention of brands, that is so pivotal in tagging and mentioning those brands that you love to use every day. This is completely authentic. But you're mentioning them strategically and plugging yourself into the conversation. I did a project with meta creators like maybe a week or two ago. And that was one of the biggest things we harped in on. They have such sophisticated software in tracking where conversation is. Maybe you didn't even write it down. Maybe you just verbally said it. And they were able to collect that information. It is so intelligent now. And honestly, it's not about being intimidated by it. It's about using it to your advantage. There is so much about these crazy tech developments that we've had in the space that can directly play into our advantage. And I'd say lean into it and use what serves you. Like 
We know ChatGBT is a scary place. Mm -hmm. There's very dystopian conversation about it. But you can fully have ChatGBT. I don't know if you ever edit on uh, CapCut. Were we talking about this? Yeah, you were telling me about you can have them help you come up with like a caption and stuff. The AI software has developed so quickly and so well on CapCut to do fully on-screen text. You can have your caption developed. You can have all of your keywords developed. If you're doing a full-day shoot as a content creator, you can write on ChatGPT, write me a shoot, a set list with these times, what I need for each category, a description that I should have for each post, yes. and it will fully create a graph and a full set list that completely gets rid of your need for a production mm -hmm. assistant. I think there's so many ways to plug this technology into what we're doing these days. And A, to our own benefit, because we are wearing 98 hats as one person doing on-camera sort of social stuff for brands, but also getting their attention and harnessing a long-term relationship. When yeah. it comes to creators, you want to do long-term relationships and build an ongoing conversation with your audience about the brands that you love. Mm -hmm. And that's why when we're talking about those big powers that be, whether it's a Shiseido, a L'Oreal, an Estee Lauder, once you are within their brand portfolio and they're cycling you through all of the brands that you love in their portfolio – it is easy to create a really authentic connection between those products and your audience because mm -hmm. people have been seeing you use it for five years. Yeah. You're like, I literally had this in my hand when I was getting paid nothing. And I like took a loan on my, yes. I opened an Ulta credit card for this. <laughs> like they really appreciate that consistency mm -hmm. because one thing about beauty and fashion is a lot of the times it's not consistent by what you're seeing people use. Yeah. And I think having tent pole products that not as a brand, but as a human being that you always go to creates a trust and a consistency that you can totally expand on in the paid capacity. Yes. I am so glad you brought up technology. It just goes back to our point that like, I think the most successful creators are the ones who are like early adopters yeah. and they're willing to like try things before everyone else. I also love using, there's this thing called Google Bard. It's like Ooh. their new B-A-R-D. It's their new chat bot GBT. And the reason I like it is when I'm doing YouTube videos, I can be like, give me a YouTube title for a video about blah, 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 based on what people searched the last week based yeah. on this topic. And it does so well. And just like to end on that note, like what I love is I always say with your audience, plant the seed. So then when the tree grows, they're proud of you. I think someone who's really good at that is Victoria Paris. Like totally. she'll say six months before she gets a brand deal. I really want to work with anthropology. I would love to have this new couch. So then once the couch comes along and she gets the brand deal, her audience is so excited because they remembered that video from six months ago mm -hmm. versus like being too afraid to say that. And then being like, Hey guys, I got this deal. Your audience is like, I don't ever remember you talking about that product. Oh. And also like try and come up with formats naturally talking about the brands and products so that when you do get brand deals, you can send them three videos that already have, you know, a hundred thousand views. This is a format that I do. I'm happy to plug you guys in like, you know, doing the work before the deals even come. So then it's just like mad libs. Like you're just plugging things in. Um, it's so true. My manager yes. won't even pitch me to a brand unless I have a couple organic videos yes. of them using. Cause that is the best way mm -hmm. to like buy in. They're like, yep. okay, you're a fan and this is authentic and people are already primed to our brand yes. on your page. 
And I think bridging that gap between like suddenly you have like, uh, what is it? Flat tummy tea in your hand and you never use it. Like it's such a more intelligent audience and it really requires authenticity and just kind of being Mm -hmm. who you are, not only as a personality, but as a consumer is really what it comes down to. And telling your audience even like, Hey, I love this brand. I would love to work with them one day. That's why I'm going to talk about this product. Like just being genuine. I think audiences favor that over maybe being like sneaky. But anyways, this was such a great conversation and I'm, I'm so happy I had you on. I feel like I learned so much from you. God, thanks. And likewise, honestly, thank you. And thank you guys so much for watching. Will you plug your socials one last time and I'll have them linked. You guys can find me on Instagram at cushion K U S H I N. And then on TikTok, Kusha K O O S H A A A three A's. I had so much fun talking to you guys. Thank you again for having me. Thank you. Bye guys. Bye guys. See ya.